Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with co-host RG Seal. And before we get rolling, just want to remind you, in case you missed it, earlier this week, I talked to Astros team historian Mike Acosta, who's helping to create the Astros Hall of Fame at Minute Maid Park. Great conversation on the progress of the Hall of Fame, the famous rainbow uniforms, and this week's anniversary of the Astrodome opening. I also brought in Benjamin Solak from the draftnetwork.com to give you a preview of the players the Texans might look at in the NFL draft, which is just a couple of weeks away, believe it or not, just around the corner. We're saving those red-hot Astros for tomorrow morning's show, so it'll be great on your way to work, get you excited for the weekend, the series against the Mariners. But trust me, we've got plenty to discuss in today's show. It's all Rockets, for the most part anyway. RG, I don't know about you, but... I was not a happy camper after that fourth quarter debacle by the Rockets Tuesday night before we set up the playoff matchup. Wait, you? Not a happy camper? What's that? Well, I mean, who was? I mean, I was re- reading uh, Rockets Twitter, and it was it was not nice to the Rockets. And it, it felt like a playoff game, not just because the style of the of the play, but, I mean, Archie, that was a playoff game because it's a big difference between being a two-seed and a four-seed. Huge difference. It is, and it was disappointing. And for that reason, the two seed was was sitting right there for the Rockets. They win that game because of Denver losing to the Jazz, and then you know they would have claimed the number two spot. Like you said, set themselves up perfectly to have at least home court if they advance. You know, getting by their first round opponent, second round home court advantage, and they avoid the Warriors till the finals. To me, the only bright spot out of this, if there is a bright spot, is that you know potentially you don't face the Warriors in the first round, which you mean the thunder in the first round, the thunder. I mean, excuse me. It's me. Thor- yeah, I'm sorry. The thunder in the first round. And, and for whatever reason, I mean, if I have to play the thunder now and golden state, it'll be in the semifinals in the Western conference finals. And those two teams seem to give, well, the past, I mean, you have to go through golden state. So give me credit as the champion and one of the all time great teams, but the other team that's really kind of had been a thorn in the rocket side. And if they are healthy, remember this was probably one of the, uh, I would say, wouldn't you, that the top two or three, at least top three teams in the Western Conference for most of the season, Oklahoma City. But because Paul George got hurt, because they went through that stretch where they were losing, they were nine and 13 after kind of he went down and towards rolling towards the end of the season. And, you know, that made a huge difference. If, If Paul George is healthy and playing like a superstar, what he did against the Rockets leads me to believe he's healthy. The way that he hit that shot at the last second, he's, oh, he has shoulder problems. No, he did. He hit that shot just falling backwards. I mean, he's the guy's fine. So, uh, if he's playing well and, and Russell Westbrook's playing well and they have that depth and they can play good defense. I mean, that's a tough, tough, tough matchup And the Rockets. If they had had them in the first round, I mean, Portland was trying to avoid them. I, I mean, did you watch that game last night? I mean, they started, I mean, they basically subbed a bunch of guys. It was only because Sacramento basically waved the white flag in the second half and they, they took out their starters too. And Portland came back and won or else they, uh, so now they have to face Oklahoma city, which has been tough on them this season. Yeah. I'd like to see a little bit more integrity in these games at the end of the year. Obviously Portland, it seemed like they were just tanking the game because of uh, where they wanted to be in the playoff seating. But I mean, if you're if you're uh, Sacramento, I mean, what's the point of not trying in that game? I mean, come on! I mean, you're you're you look at Sacramento, your playoff odds aren't going to get better. You got a minuscule chance. I mean, your lottery odds. You got a minuscule chance, a minuscule chance to get the number one pick, and it's all about Zion or even in the top three. 
I mean, it's it's a pretty minuscule chance if you're if you're uh, Sacramento. So that was frustrating. But you know, the Rockets obviously they made their own bed, and, and that game, I mean, <laughs> the Sacramento game, they scored 87 in the first half. They're up by 20 something at halftime. I tweeted out, which probably was a big mistake. Hey, look, they're up by whatever, so the Rockets could still get the three seed. Yeah, that was a big mistake. What were you doing there? It's like with the Governor Abbott, right, when he did that. Yeah, I know, but it's just, I, you figure, I mean, they're up by 20 and there's, they, they weren't playing it. Portland was playing nobody. I mean, obviously, uh, Nurkic is out for the season. Damien Lillard, he's not playing. They sit him load management or whatever it is. Yeah, they put in all their backups. But like you said, like Sacramento, the beginning of the second half, they took out their regulars and they basically waved the white flag. I, I was trying to figure out what Portland was doing. I, were they trying to throw it? Were they not trying to throw I couldn't figure out. But the bigger disappointment was Denver, Denver in their last game of the season because they were losing just it's reminding me the Oklahoma City Rockets game to end the season. I mean, it's just like you think that, oh, my gosh, they've got their they're down like 10 points, you know, with Minnesota wasn't playing Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, what again, the integrity, just give me a little bit of integrity in these games, at but the they end were of the they were still they still had, it went down to the final seconds though in that one it still right. was at least uh, I mean the Rockets had the second seed they could have gotten it there from that but it really gets back to the Rockets look they started off eleven and fourteen they had a hole to climb out we at a certain point in the season we we're just saying can the Rockets even get to the home court advantage there you know can they even get to the top four seeds so they made a tremendous run they were one of the best teams over the second half of the season and just extremely disappointing because they had it right there but Oklahoma City's a tough place to play and Oklahoma City's a tough opponent and they were going all out for it because they wanted they didn't want to fall to seven or eight or they didn't want to fall to the eight seed because if Oklahoma City loses that game all of a sudden they could be the eight seed facing Golden State in the first round they didn't want that so they were playing for everything really too and the Rockets yeah they weren't able to close out and do that there but they're still this is a veteran team I know that this is how James Harden and Chris Paul and the rest of them are thinking of it look we have to go through Golden State anyway whether it's the semifinals or the final it doesn't matter We've got our first round matchup. We first got to get by Utah. That's get by Utah. So, I mean, that's and that's if you look at like first round matchups, uh, you know, Utah is a tough team. They're really, really good. But I would rather face Utah than I would Oklahoma City. That being said, the Rockets could lose to either one of them. We've seen this season they've been inconsistent. And, uh, you know, Utah is not going to be an easy out. They have, a, a you know, the top ranked defense in the NBA and, and they played the Rockets well. Uh you know, they they slaughtered them earlier in the season. That, that was a different Rockets team, though. I mean, right. there, there was there's I mean, you practically don't even recognize anybody in the lineup from that team from those early. Rockets. But, but they still have a very good team. And, and that's they're not going to be any pushover in the first round. But the Rockets should beat them. Yeah. While you were talking, by the way, uh, speaking of that Sacramento team, uh, Dave Yeager, apparently for blowing the lead. No, not for blowing the lead, but Vlade fired him. Uh, already. So Dave Yeager, who was like a coach of the year candidate for getting the team up to about 39 wins after a lot of, a lot of people thought this would be another, you know, terrible Kings team with 20 wins or something like that. Credit, credit Deer and Fox who made a huge leap this year and Buddy Heald who made a big leap. There was a lot of things. They got Marvin Bagley in the draft. So all of that included, but Dave Yeager, uh, see you and, and going back to the Oklahoma city game. Cause before we leave the, the Oklahoma city game when the Rockets played them, uh, because, I mean, that game was – it looked like the Rockets had it in hand. The whole time, I'm thinking the Rockets are fine. They're fine. They're up the whole game, blah, blah, blah. But then the second half, a couple things. Eric Gordon, wh- what the hell? He'd been, he's been great for like 
two months, and all of a sudden he could he was missing one wide open shot after another. He was also turning the ball over, which was terrible. And, and James Harden, your MVP candidate, I mean the guy that looked like uh, he was all world unstoppable tour all year long, can't make a basket in the fourth quarter and misses in the final seconds a free throw and a wide open three that would have you know obviously the free throw would have uh, put him up by by three late in the game. Uh, George would have tied it. The three would have won the game. But, I mean, two huge plays that James Harden, all year long, he's one of the best free throw shooters in the NBA. It's his best free throw shooting year. It's just, I can't believe it. I'm still stunned. I'm still upset. I I, I can't get over this. He he had made, well, you'll get over it because the playoffs start. Uh, (laughs) I mean, the Rockets can win a championship. Are you saying you'll still be talking about the Oklahoma City loss or in the regular season? No, come season? on. The Rockets aren't. I mean, <laughs> look, now they've got to go through Golden State in the second round. and, and then Okay, so you're already giving up. You're already saying they then, can't Then be. they might have to go through, go through Oklahoma City. Who's? No, I mean, that's tough, of course. Look, no, look any, any way you look at it, the championship would have been tough. Look, if the Rockets have the number two seed, okay, yes. First round matchup, it could have been a, you know, we don't know what happens because if they if they beat the last game of the season, Oklahoma City, and then uh, who knows what happens kind of like with the seeding there. But in the, if they have the number two seed, yeah, they get the home court advantage for the first two rounds, but then they face Golden State. It'll be on the road no matter what. And then they Eastern Conference opponent this year, they would be on the they'd be on the road probably against them, too, because they're, they're not probably going to be better than I mean, they're going to be facing what? Most likely uh, out of the Eastern Conference, a Milwaukee, a Toronto, uh, Philadelphia, right? They would all have home court advantage. Even Boston, I didn't check their final record. Are they pretty much close to the Rockets? Oh, I, I don't even – I don't care about Boston. saying that they wouldn't have home court scenario either for the Western Con- – last year, everything worked out for the Rockets. It Could it have worked out more perfectly for the Rockets? They had home court advantage. They had the, the – throughout all the rounds, even including the finals, they would have had home court advantage. They had the best record in the NBA. You know, everything worked out even to the last game of everything the Everything worked out until uh, Luke Babamute was was hurt the whole time. Well, and, and, and Chris and Paul, Chris Paul. So yeah. That's why sometimes with championships, you just don't know. We saw with the Rockets in 94-95, six seed, nobody was picking them. Everybody said they're done, they can't do it, and then they came back and did it. So, I mean, it's just like – you know, if the Rockets are going to finally win a championship, especially if James Harden's going to win one, I mean, he's going to have to step up his game. Um, so we'll see if he can get, you know, if he can get things rolling and, and the Rockets can. It doesn't look like a championship team because of the inconsistency, like you said, because of the things. But they did play much better over the second half of the season. And for a lot of the second half of the season, you could make the argument they were the best team in the NBA, you know, uh, at least out of the Western Conference. I wouldn't totally throw in the towel on, on the Rockets yet. And we'll see. I mean, it's, it's a lot's going to depend like how they, the, uh, Chris Paul's been saying all season long, just, you know, in a seven game series, nobody can beat us. Well, we'll see. He's going to have to live up to that now. And he's got to up his game. Like you said, Eric Gordon's got to up his game. All these guys have to play better. It's not all on Harden, although Harden being the MVP candidate, I mean, he's going to be a focal point and people are going to point to him. Oh, can he duplicate his regular season in the post postseason? But he really shouldn't have to. It's going to be the other guys stepping it up. Hey, by the way, Jeff Bedzelik was your coach in that game on Tuesday, and, and hopefully uh, Mike D'Antoni's good for the playoffs because yeah, you know, we were worried about the players. All of a sudden, the coach has got some sort of major stomach issue. But um, you looked at the, at the end of that game, RG, and Paul George in the corner, he gets a pretty good look at a three-point shot when the Rockets are up by two. 
Uh, why are you double double teaming R- Russell Westbrook when you're up by two? When Russell Westbrook's the guy, he, isn't that the guy you want shooting the ball late in games these this year? <laughs> he's terrible. Although, I mean, Russell Westbrook has hit some clutch shots over his career, but you're right, he's not the shooter. And Paul George, uh, I think part of it too is like I think you make a good point there. We forgot about Mike D'Antoni being in the hospital and not coaching these games. And look, Jeff Bezdelic, he's a great defensive guru he's the guy reason why the Rockets again second half of the season they've been one of the better defensive teams I mean he knows how to assemble personnel and put them in the right place and defense wasn't the problem at the end of the game it was offense so you're almost thinking like Mike D'Antoni could have drawn up some plays or done something or you know maybe had a little bit more offensive ingenuity towards the end of the game and 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 I want to say something about the offensive uh, issues late in the game because I don't know about you, but I mean, let, let's talk about the playoffs for just a second. In the playoffs, yeah. Chris Paul last year in the big yes. moments, he was the guy that you trusted in the final minutes. Like James Harden can carry you through a game offensively. That's fine. But don't you trust Chris Paul over James Harden? And Chris Paul didn't shoot much at the end of that. I don't know if he shot. I mean, I have to go with a play-by-play chart. It didn't seem like he shot at all, really, in the last few minutes of that uh, Oklahoma City game. And, and in the playoffs, I want the ball in Chris Paul's hand especially in the final three or four minutes of a game, more than James Harden, because I, I honestly, I trust Chris Paul in big situations more than I trust James Harden in the playoffs anyway, in the playoffs, because that's what we've seen over the years in big situations, not at maybe against the lesser teams, but against the teams that you're going to have to beat to get to the championship like Golden State. I trust Chris Paul and, and it's I, Oklahoma City with their defense, one of the best defenses, maybe the best defense uh, in the Western Conference. That was the guy that needed the ball in the game was Chris Paul. And he was able to penetrate, like you said, last year in the playoffs versus Utah. Even the closeout game against Minnesota was Chris Paul. And that's why I'm saying he's got to be back to superstar level. We saw some of that uh, again the second half of the season after he came back from injury. But it's been sporadic. I mean, Chris Paul is maybe symptomatic of the whole Rocket season and the inconsistency. It's like some nights he looks great and some nights he looks washed up. But he's got to be that superstar level player. And again, he said from the very beginning of the season, hey, nobody can beat us. If we're going in a seven game series, I still feel confident we are the best team. We're going to win that four out of seven. So, you know, you got to back up that talk right now. And, you know, he's going to be ready for it. He says he's he's prepared himself health wise for postseason. Knock on wood as Rocket fans. We're all hoping that he is going to be healthy because that's what derailed the Rockets last year and why they lost the the last two games, game six and seven against Golden State, not having a healthy Chris Paul in the lineup. So if he is in the Rockets, play the way that they've been playing, barring that collapse in Oklahoma City, if they play the way they've been playing of late, I know they've been beating some bad teams, but just, just with that mentality, be tough on the defensive end of the floor because in the playoffs, you don't give a team any easy baskets. Every possession is meaningful. And then you you find ways to be creative offensively. Like you said, you got to take some of the load off. Look, James Harden, everybody's going to have the bullseye on him. They're going to say, this guy needs to go out, score, you know, 40-0. He's got to be the MVP. He's got to do things. No, he's got to have he's got to have a good game, but he's also got to get his teammates involved. And and some people are going to have to pick him up too. So, you know, this is a team effort. It's a team game. You don't win a championship with one player. A lot of talk over the years about James Harden being tired and not affecting him in playoff games. And I, this is my feeling on it. James Harden, I, I don't know if he's tired at the beginning of games in the first half and the third quarter, but the part about James Harden, high usage guy, the, the guy with the ball in his hand so much, what happens, I think, by the fourth quarter in a playoff game against a really difficult opponent that's been playing him tough defense the whole game, that's when it gets hard. That's when James Harden, that's why I think 
having the ball in Chris Paul's hand is going to be the, the, the that's the solution. Because look, Chris Paul, uh, he, you don't want him playing as many minutes as James Harden. He's not going to have the ball in his hand. Obviously, he's the guy, he's going to take over when James Harden's out of the game. And there are going to be moments where James is going to throw it over to Chris Paul when he's in the game in the first through third quarters. But in the fourth quarter, I, I think that's the reason why you've got both of those guys on the team. That's the perfect reason for having both of them. The other thing, RG, that I was thinking about as, as, as I was watching the Oklahoma City game, the thing that scares me about Oklahoma City when you do play them in the playoffs, and um, I, I wasn't too sure until I was watching that game, and I'm like, oh, this is bad. The Rockets are not a good offensive rebounding team. Oklahoma City is a great defensive, uh, or, or not a good rebounding team, period, with the, with their size. Oklahoma City has way more size, way more length, so that's that's a huge concern. The other thing I noticed as I was watching the Oklahoma City game, uh, no Iman Shumpert, which I thought was interesting. In a big game, the Rockets were playing it like a playoff game. It looks like to me, if I'm watching that, and I'm guessing he's taking orders from D'Antoni is that Iman Shumpert might be the odd guy looking out because Shumpert was a guy you would think would be in Oklahoma City in that type of game because uh, that's a team with, with the athleticism and the length where a Shumpert over maybe an Austin Rivers or some of the other guys might have made more sense, but Jumper didn't play. Well, it also might be a Bill Belichick type thing. It's like, I'm playing for the playoffs. It's like, I don't want to show you everything that I'm going to show you during the playoffs if we meet up in a matchup in the postseason. So there you go on that, too. That's another theory that could be. But I think getting back to what you're saying about Oklahoma City, they would be a tough matchup for the Rockets. And that's why a lot of people are having, oh, my gosh, you know, the Rockets didn't get a second or third seed. They have to face Golden State in the second round. But a second or third seed could have meant I mean, we all know how things shake out if the Rockets beat Oklahoma City or do that. They, you know, they end up facing them in the uh, in the first round, which, again, uh, taking nothing away from Utah, a, a really good team. But Oklahoma City at fully healthy scares scares me more. And now the Rockets would be facing them in the Western Conference Finals if they get by Golden State. So, again, it's just kind of pick your poison in, in the postseason. But get back, getting back to what you were saying first about Harden and, and tiring out in the postseason, I do agree with you about that, about Chris Paul. They need to kind of share the load together, and that's why Chris Paul was acquired. And just because James Harden, I, I totally agree with you on that. Another thing maybe is that maybe the Rockets did get a little bit lucky and that they played that, that Tuesday game, so they didn't have to come back. They might have rested their regulars anyway on a Wednesday and said, okay, you know, for, we're, like a lot of these other teams did. But still – they don't play until Sunday, right? So they have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They have one game on Sunday, and then they don't play again until Wednesday. So I know that you know it's postseason coming up, but that's about as favorable, at least for getting some days in between with rest and the playoffs starting up, as you could possibly have it for the Rockets without like you know sitting your regulars in the last regular season game. And you know they're not starting up on Saturday now. They have the late Sunday matchup. So and then they don't play again until Wednesday. So to me, that's that's at least advantageous for getting some rest and getting ready for that second season. That's pretty typical for the playoffs, the first round because there's so many games. They they really make a lot of space between them. Yeah, they get a little bit of extra time, so that's good. But for the Rockets, it's especially helpful, though, right? Because what you said, Harden, the way he's worked throughout the season and all of that. So to have just those extra days of rest is at least nice. It's not my concern, though. I, I don't worry about James Harden resting uh, for a whole – it's not about the whole game. It's To me, I don't care how much rest you get when you're 
playing a game where you're you're playing 35, 40 minutes and you got the ball in your hands the whole time. I worried about James Harden at the end of games. That's going to make you tired no matter what. I don't care how well rested you are going into the game. By the fourth quarter, the end of the fourth quarter, that's the rest that matters to me. And that's why, like I said, Chris Paul needs to have the ball in his hands. I'm not, I'm not worried about these guys being necessarily tired for most of the game. It's the end of the games that matter. And it's figuring out how to maximize the talent that you've got so that you're not putting all the pressure on James Harden to do everything, uh, even at the end of the games when you really need him. So, you know, and maybe there's going to be some blowouts with Utah. I mean, you look at the matchup, RG, I don't know uh, how, how you're seeing this, but, you know, last year they faced the same team. This team's got more playoff experience. They've been red hot late in the season, but their schedule's been super easy. They had a really tough schedule early in the year, so I don't know how representative of that is. The last time the Rockets played them, they – they, they crushed him, but, you know, it'll be different. They, they, you get to see a team over and over again. Rudy Gobert, you got to figure out how to get, you know, James Harden's got to figure out how to deal with him. This year he's added the floater that I think that's going to help him against Rudy Gobert. It's always difficult when you go into the paint. Donovan Mitchell, another year of experience, but he's the only, you know, that's the only real threat with the ball in his hands, star player that they've got. you got to worry about Joe Engels and guarding him out at the three-point line. Don't leave him open a lot, a lot. But it's a team that I think the Rockets know the game plan of how to beat them. Rudy Gobert, to me, that's a you know the, one of the best defensive centers in the NBA, if not the best defensive center in the NBA. So you know you're always going to have him kind of in the post there. So they have to kind of work around that, and and they have you know good perimeter defense too. So the Rockets are just going to have to find a way. That's where it gets back to Chris Paul, James Harden, finding ways to penetrate, get to the basket being able to dish it out, hit the open threes when they're available. They're going to have to find their offensive moments, you know, and, and they're going to have to take advantage of those. And they're also going to have to play some good defense, but it's it's not like they have to play against like, you know, a top two or three offensive team where you got to be like a Golden State Warriors where you're just totally, you know, who do we guard coming down to the other end there? I mean, you have to stop Donovan Mitchell, of course. Uh, and there are some shooters on Oklahoma, excuse me, on, on Utah, like a Kyle Korver. You don't want to leave him wide open. But I, uh, it's definitely, you know, a more advantageous, we would say, for the uh, Rockets to face, at least as far as playoff matchup wise. But Utah is a very good team. And it, it also wouldn't be surprising. This goes six or seven games and, and they could beat the Rockets. So the Rockets have to be playing their best basketball to get by Utah. The other thing that kills the Rockets is the Golden State Warriors get the Clippers in the first round. I, it, that feels like a series. I, I know everybody's been real high on what the Clippers have done this year, but I mean, the Rockets just faced the Clippers uh, just a couple of weeks ago, took them apart. I, I think that was with playoff level intensity competition. I, I This is a team that, you know, to, to me, the Golden State could destroy in, in a four-game sweep, and the Rockets need to take care of business in this Utah series. They need to win this Maybe not sweep them, but I, I would say five games max like they did last year. I mean, you can't, you know, this can't turn into a seven-game series in a dogfight because then you're tired and banged up going into the Golden State Series the next round. I mean, that's, and, and of course, I mean, I'm not saying that there's no lock that they win. I'm just saying if you want to make that run of the championship, this is the, that's how you're going to have to do it. Of course, you'd love to sweep them or five games or to do that. But the main thing is to advance out of the first round and they'll have hopefully a couple of days off unless they go seven games and it's usually just one day of rest and then you're on to the next series. So, 
you know, they really need to get it probably in six games or less. As far as the Clippers, I agree with you. They're going to probably get swept by Golden State. But the one thing is we know that Patrick Beverly, I mean, he's at least going to make things tough if he's in there, you know, and on the court and Montrezl Harrell, some of these ex-Rockets, they're going to they're going to be banging around there and be physical. So as, although Golden State should advance, I mean, the Clippers, they do at least have, you know, a physical, aggressive hustling team and you know that doc rivers will have them playing to their utmost it might not be good enough and like you said by the fourth quarter the golden state might pull pull away but i guarantee you that the clippers are going to come out there give energy and and t- uh, ferocity because that's who patrick patrick beverly is right i mean he's kind of like the spirit of that team he'll get hurt he always does in the playoffs i mean we've seen it over oh. and over again with the rockets so. wah, wah. I'm, well i mean what do you want what do you want i mean that's it, it, well, it, what about one of the what about one of the golden state warriors i mean it's not like you know some of the times uh you know they've been a little bit fragile too so and the rockets are too i mean that's what happens injuries happen. no I, I, I get it teams are fragile but Look, Patrick Beverly, every every season with the Rockets in the playoffs, he would get hurt in the playoffs or there was something that was happening. I mean, every season, this is very consistent. I mean, I'm, you know, all, all apologies to you. I love Patrick Beverly. Everybody loves Patrick Beverly. All the Rockets fans love Patrick Beverly, but that's who he is. Yeah, but I mean, if he if he's in there for a game or two or three and makes things tough and like has, you know, like on the Golden State Warriors, that's fine. I mean, based, they're not going to look, we're not expecting the Clippers to get by them. So whether they get four games, five games, six games, we just want them to go through the meat grinder. We want them to have it to be a little bit tough, even if they sweep them or it's five games. So get physical and and you know, have a, have a team that's out there hustling, playing hard on loose balls, that type of thing. The best thing that Patrick Beverly can do is if he does stay healthy, he could bang up Steph Curry a little bit. Or well, he is a he is a banger out there. We know that. I mean, Russ, ask Russell Westbrook. But I mean, you don't want to see anybody get injured. I to me, I want to see Golden State healthy. You don't want those excuses. Well, the only reason the Rock. No, I don't care. I, no, no, no. I totally disagree with you there. I don't care. Look. Everybody, there's always good fortune of winning a championship, and sometimes injuries happen. I mean, I, I don't wish anybody to be like anything long term, but if they're out for the series or they're not quite the same advantage, I mean, hey, Rockets didn't have Chris Paul. They could say they should have won the championship. Golden State, a couple of their championships, uh, there was a lot of injuries for guys on other teams. Cleveland, uh, when they faced him in the finals one year, uh, I, I think there, there was they had a couple of key injuries like Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. Uh, there was that one season. I mean, look, stuff happens. Astros, they needed a lot of breaks to win their championship. Some injuries by other teams. They were healthy the, that year. They weren't healthy last year when they won 103 games. But they beat a full – They, I mean, they're pretty much the Dodger squad that they beat was, you know, the full complement of players. I know, although you could say with uh, – Seeger, he was out for for that. So, but for the most part, on that run when they were facing the Yankees, when they're facing the Red Sox, I mean, they're facing teams that were at their full complement of players. And they're what, you, maybe okay, the okay, fine. Time. You pick, you could pick one situation, but so many times we've seen it matters. It matters if you're healthy. It matters and stuff. So it's just like, but that's what we'll have to see round around who's there. But I mean, ideally, you don't want to be like, well, the. Ro-, I mean, that's what they always say about the Rockets championships. Well, they beat Orlando, yeah, I, but I, Michael I, Jordan wasn't I, there. I don't care. I don't care. You know, that's 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 all part of it. It's look, good fortune is always you're always winning championships with good fortune. I mean, we could we could start going over season after season in the NBA. I mean, it's it's attrition. That's what happens. You know, but. 
part of it is building a team that's able to handle the attrition. That's part of the situation. But part of it is just flat out good luck. And and look, Golden State's had some extremely good luck a couple of times. Uh, not so fortunate luck. Other, t- I mean, it just. Well, the one thing about the Warriors that you will say this year is they look at least during the regular season. I don't know if it'll be the case in the NBA playoffs, but they they look a little bit more vulnerable, don't you think? Oh yeah, I mean they do, they do, but I don't even want to talk about Golden State and what's what about that series until Rockets need to take care of business. What about some series. of the uh, what about some of the other series uh, you're kind of looking at in the Eastern Conference? You just figure it's going to be the the Raptors, the 76ers, the Celtics, and the Bucks that just advance. Yeah, I think the the Eastern Conference is pretty cut and dry. There's a little bit more interest interesting series in the West. I mean, the two besides Golden State. I mean, Denver. You know how vulnerable are they? Portland. Who do you who do you like between Denver and San Antonio? And then uh, I, I'm assuming you like OKC versus Portland because you were talking about OKC earlier on there. I, I'm thinking that maybe you think that they'll upset Portland. Oh, I don't even think it's an upset because there's no Nurkic. Right. Portland has not been all that great in the playoffs and the, over the course of the last few years. And Oklahoma City, you know, they they struggled in the playoffs last year, but they had Carmelo. They had the weight of Carmelo on their shoulders. So, yeah, Oklahoma City wins that series would be my guess. And Denver and San Antonio, I I would expect Denver to win. I mean, everybody's crapping on Denver, but I I don't think Denver is poised to make a long run. And then they face Oklahoma City, and then that's a whole other story. But, I mean, I I think Denver should win because they've got way more talent than San Antonio, but they haven't been impressive late in the season and you know we know what pop can do so i you know that that could go seven games who knows but they're gonna have home court there it's denver it's the altitude uh you know i i don't know how well i trust demar Derozan uh because we saw where he would go into the playoffs and just go into a shell so there's stuff about san antonio that scares me too if, if i'm seeing them against denver but yeah uh just want to give a, a little tip of the cap before we talk a little bit more about uh jazz rockets but james harden he joins Michael Jordan as the only player just to have 2,700 points, 500 assists, 500 rebounds in a season. I mean, I could go over a, a zillion stats with him at the end of the year. I mean, we, we've talked about some of them, but just just a, we, we, we saw something really historic, really special. That was fun to watch. But I was listening to Zach Lowe on his podcast with Tim Bontemps, another NBA writer. They said they're voting for Giannis as, M, as the MVP. I don't think it's going to be a close vote. Also, a source... Uh, told me that Zach Lowe told somebody with the Rockets back in early March, as you know, like a month and a half ago, that Giannis would win, according to all the people he'd spoken to. So while the players in a poll voted for Harden this week, it looks like the media will give it uh, to the Greek freak RG. I, I assume you're giving this talk to Harden. He's your MVP. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like we've talked about in previous shows, I mean, what are we going to be talking about 15 or 20 years from now? We're going to be talking about Harden with 30 consecutive games over 30, or whatever that number was that he had 30 plus points. We're going to be talking about Harden scoring, you know, over 50 more than 10 times or, you know, or over 60. What is it more than three times? You know, I mean, we're going to be talking about all these incredible offensive numbers that only MJ, Kobe and, and Wilt Chamberlain uh, you know, even touch or got near. And that's what we're going to be talking about this extraordinary offensive season. No, no disrespect to Giannis. He's a fantastic young player. He's one of the bright spots in the NBA. He also had a great season leading the Bucks to the number one overall seed in the Eastern Conference. And he plays well on defense too. So, I mean, great all around prep player. But to me, the MVP this year and the guy that we're going to be talking about for the ages is going to be James Harden. And what an incredible, absolutely incredible 2018-19 regular season that he had. 
If there was any year to split a vote, I would split mine. But if you could split split votes or you could split this and, you know, I'm hoping for a tie. This would be the year because both guys honestly deserve the MVP. I mean, for the different ways they've done things. But, you know, Giannis is he might be the second best player in the NBA on the defensive end. He he should get a lot of votes for defensive player of the year. We talked about Rudy Gobert. He He's probably going to win that award I think he's the leading candidate but Giannis is right there uh, with him when you look at uh, what what Giannis did on defense their point differentials extraordinary even though Milwaukee's strength of schedule is supposedly one of the worst in the last 20 years Uh, so and there's a lot of different ways to look at it but I mean both guys just fantastic all season long and and I mean who would have guessed that Milwaukee would have been the one seed when the season started and the best record in the NBA won 60 games and you know so much of that is about Giannis, but uh, RG, as we prep for the Jazz series, I feel like we need to do a little something to get us in the mood, like maybe a memory from a Jazz Rocket series in the past. Uh, let's go back to 1994, Game Four of the Western Conference Finals. Rockets up by two, 13 seconds left. What happened then? All right, here we go. Chambers will throw it in bounds for the Utah Jazz. Kyle Malone's probably going to try to muscle it, or they'll shoot the outside shot one or the other. Chambers looking, still looking. Out it comes, one sec. 12 o'clock. Well, start the time clock. They're not even starting the clock. They didn't even start the clock. They haven't, they haven't even started the clock. They haven't yet. They haven't started something's the clock. Oh, something's got to give here. What's Can you believe in? this? They haven't even started the clock. We got it anyway. We got it anyway. Take it in. Take it in. Take it in. Take it in. This ball is over. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yes, yes. clean it is. The Rockets win it, and boy, that's one of the dirtiest plays I've ever seen. I love it. You got to love that one, RG. One of the great moments in Gene Peterson history. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> meltdown right there. Uh, Gene Peterson, Jim Foley, that was hilarious, though, that, to listen to that. Cause, yeah, I mean, what the Jazz did there, that was terrible. But it was just, it's just funny listening to them. Brings back some good memories. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. And uh, one of uh, the least uh, favorite fans of the Utah Jazz, Mad Max, tweeted out on Wednesday night, bring on Utah. Hey, I wanted to ask you saying bring on Utah. Like you're always about like, okay, Mike D'Antoni going to eight or nine players in the playoffs. We know that. So against the Jazz here, looking at the matches they have, who is your eight to nine man rotation? Who are the two guys that you think won't be a factor in this series or will be left on the bench, I guess you should say. Yeah, I mean, I I would assume that they would go with Nene because Gobert might be, you know, with the size Gobert, you would go with Nene instead of uh, Fareed. It's going to be interesting. It's just going to depend on who's on the floor when. I mean, I I prefer Fareed out there over Nene uh, in general, but uh, defensively, if that's going to be a thing, rebounding, if that's going to be a thing, you know, that that's going to be an interesting call. I, I do think that Shumpert not playing against OKC was, you know, is something that I, 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 I just not a big fan of Shumpert. And I, I don't think uh, he sees much time at all. I mean, maybe he gets a couple of minutes in the playoffs. Maybe something happens where they need him. But Gerald Green is going to be, uh, I think he's going to play, but it's going to be, is he hot or is he not? You know, maybe he's out, out of there pretty quickly, but it, it, we're going to see a lot of Daniel House. Uh, he did not have a good game or one of his few bad games against, against Oklahoma City. He was 0 for 3, 0 for 4, I think, from from 3. Uh, but, you know, that's one what game. What about Austin Rivers? Do you think he plays much? Yeah, yeah, I think Austin's going to play. I mean, I, he's going to get a few minutes. I, I think it's going to be 
mostly house green and uh i think it's you know it, it's it's going to be austin rivers over shumpert um but the, they're all going to get a, a a little bit of minutes but it's going to be 30 plus with the main five guys i mean that there's no question about it that that's sure, the, that's right. the way it's looked uh as, as the season uh has finished out there's is not i don't think there's a a thing where it's like oh well you know one of those five guys, if they're struggling or, I mean, I, I just think there's so much confidence in that, unless there's foul trouble or something like that with, you know, obviously. Yeah. I think that what you were saying there, I mean, it always gets down to Farid or, or Nene kind of thing. And I, I agree with you with like having Rudy Gobert there, it's probably going to be somebody like a Nene that's in the game there. And uh, yeah, I think Daniel house because of his athleticism and what he can do and hitting the threes. And, and then also because you're going to need some offense with Utah. I agree about Gerald green and, so, yeah, I think that kind of what you said there is what I'm thinking, too. So, I mean, I guess the wild card in this is with D'Antoni comes back as he put Iman Schumpert in there. Yeah, I got a couple a couple more thoughts on the Jazz. But uh, first, I, I just want to remind everybody, if you'd like to meet me in person, come to the Sports Fan Expo the last weekend in April. I'll be out there at George R. Brown on Saturday, April 27th. Don't miss it. It's the largest Sports Fan Expo in Houston you know, you can come meet, take photos, get autographs from Astros, Texans, UFC fighters. All these legends are going to be out there. There's free entertainment for the kids, bounce houses, mini soccer stadium, a boxing ring, MMA cage, tons to do. Are you getting in the boxing MMA cage? Is that one of the things that people will be able to do? I, I fought uh, once in, in seventh grade. Uh, my record is 0-1. I, I, I don't want to foul up my record, so I don't think I'm going to be out there boxing is hard man I, I did that got in the ring for like three minutes uh I, I think it was gym class or something like that in seventh grade and it, it didn't go well but man the, the lineup for that for this deal is like Deshaun Watson Altuve Bregman Springer Correa Yuli Tyler White Warren Moon Lorenzo White Haywood Jeffries uh guys like Drew Brees and Fred Belitnikoff and Marcus Allen um, besides a lot of the Houston guys but uh lots of good stuff out there and RG as usual Going back to the the Jazz series, the Rockets have all their playoff games in the middle of the night. The first four games are set for 8.30, 8.30, 9.30, and 9.30. Unless you're Pacific Coast time. Yeah, well, you out in L.A. love this, but, you know, act more accurately, those games are not going to start till 8.45, 9.45. People are going to be up in Houston till 11.30, 12, 12.30 at night for all these games. It's horrible. Well, but you know, also look at it. That's part of the reason, though, with the matchups in the first round. If the Rockets were playing Oklahoma City, you'd have early primetime games for all of them. You know, next round with Golden State, you won't have to worry about this if the Rockets advance that far. It's because it's Utah. Face it, Utah's not a draw. They're out. They're in the mountain time zone, so they can schedule games late out in the mountain time zone. And then, I mean, Utah is just not the NBA draw to watch. The Rockets are. Uh, with James Harden and Chris Paul, but I, I mean, it's the opponent. So if you're looking at from an NBA scheduling, the Eastern Eastern Conference games are always going to be earlier because they're in the Eastern Conference and Central time zones. If you're looking at uh, scheduling and you have the Los Angeles Clippers and the Golden State Warriors, those are two big markets. That's going to have a lot of eyeballs and interest. So that's going to be a primetime game. Oklahoma City and Portland, again, Oklahoma City, Central time zone, but it's like that's a more exciting matchup. If you're talking about just from a TV perspective, the only one that maybe is a, is the San Antonio Denver one. That's not. And I think some of those games are actually on NBA TV, which is kind of the not any knock against NBA TV, but that's kind of the graveyard. You know, usually ESPN, ABC and TNT pick the games and the NBA TV game get the, the, the last of the litter. So we call it Raptors TV in the playoffs usually. Yeah. 
Yeah, although the Raptors this year are must-watch TV, I'm really excited to see how how they play because I want to see how Kawhi Leonard and as, uh, the old Rocket Kyle Lowry, if he can step it up because that's always been the problem. Like you were mentioning earlier in the show, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry have had all these postseason problems. You know, there's, now there's no LeBron over there, and they played well defensively. They picked up Marcus Gasol, so I'm really interested to watch Toronto because they only finished what four or five games back in Milwaukee, and nobody's really talking about them. They're just kind of like quietly there. You know, everybody's talking about Philadelphia because of the acquisitions they've made and their star power. And everybody always talks about Boston because of the history and the legacy of the Celtics. And everybody talking about Milwaukee. It's just like, doesn't Toronto? Didn't they kind of seem like everybody's maybe pushing them aside? Yeah, because nobody not- ever uh, talks about Toronto, and you know nobody can pronounce Pascal Siakam, and 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 then you got Kawhi <laughs> Leonard that doesn't say anything, and you got a team of of guys that are just kind of they're they're not big talkers. You got. Uh, Marcus Saul there now. You add him to the mix, but yeah, it's just it, it's one of those teams that they, they, they're they're not sexy. I mean, it's just not a sexy team for. Well, a lot I of think they are now. I mean, I I love watching Kawhi Leonard play. I, I think getting Marcus Saul there. I like lo- we loved watching Kyle Lowry with the Rockets. That's to me why I think that they're going to be more exciting now that the playoffs are rolling around. Especially once you get to the if they can, you know, I'm assuming they'll advance and get by Orlando in the first round, right? That's their matchup. So that should be pretty exciting if it's a Philadelphia-Toronto matchup in the second round. Got one last thing just from this this Jazz series, and it's not really anything related to on the court, but, you know, we got to give a quick tip of the cap, or at least I do, to Jazz guard Kyle Korver. If you haven't heard what he wrote about this week, you'll hear about it during the series. An incredibly thoughtful piece by Korver which was sparked by that Russell Westbrook incident. It was up on uh, the Players' Tribune, uh, just uh, the incident where uh, Russell Westbrook was, uh, you know, there's some racist things said by one of the Jazz fans from the stands. It was retweeted by NBA players, you know, guys all over the NBA sports figures like Billie Jean King, Tony Dungy, our our own local guys like Chris Paul, Alex Bregman, Colin McHugh, Chester Pitts, Whitney Merciless. Uh, Corver said, uh, this is what he said, happened after the Russell Westbrook incident, you know, this is a quote in the, in the piece in a closed door meeting with the president of the jazz the next day, my teammates shared stories of similar experiences. They they'd had of feeling degraded in ways that uh, went beyond acceptable heckling. Uh, One teammate talked about how his mom had called him right after the game concerned for a safety in Salt Lake city. Another teammate said the night felt like uh, being in a zoo, quote unquote, and RG, I mean, it's, it, it was really the story. It, it kind of took up Twitter for a day. And, and Corver, I, I thought, you know, you, you see guys talking about um, what's going on in sports uh, racially and beyond our society. But I think uh, Kyle Corver's piece, piece was just very exceptional, just beyond that, because you felt like he was speaking to not just, hey, this is happening, but, you know, we all need to be accountable for this and we've got to be actively accountable and we've got to think about this. You know, and and basically said he pointed the finger right at himself and says I, I'm part of p- part of the responsibility here for me is is being better at this and you know this is what I thought uh, about some stuff and and thought wrongly and and you know I just thought that was a fantastic piece by Corver. I apologize to say I haven't read the piece yet, so don't know too much about it. But you know, obviously, well intentioned, well thought out. Sounds like yeah, yeah. If you if you haven't read it, tell our listeners go go check it out. I mean, everybody's been talking about it it's been a national story really it took it took up a day's worth of uh stuff for, for a lot of people around there i mean there's a, been a lot going on in sports recently but it was really fantastic and and rg i mean the other part about the, these last couple of days another big story uh well let me just lead into it by saying 
Are you excited Magic Johnson gets to tweet about the NBA again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He gets to tweet about the NBA and gets go back to his old lifestyle. Uh, yeah, being Magic. Magic being Magic. So hey, that was a little bit surprising to me. As a little bit surprising to Jeannie Buss, too. Uh, I didn't didn't even bother telling her. Oh, I'm. Le- oh, it's like my well, sister he said he didn't want to be talked out of it, which is kind of the thing. Oh, you go to Jeannie. But oh, no, Magic. Yeah, I come back here. He was like, no, I'm done. I'm, I'm finished with the Lakers. And that's what losing can do to you. I mean, Magic's not used to lose. I mean, remember when he had his talk show and it was he was getting pummeled for that. Remember when he was coach of the Lakers. So it's like when Magic's not doing too well in a situation. I mean, he's not he's a quitter. He's a quitter. No, but he's one of the great all-time greats. I love Magic, you know, as far as what he's been able to do for the, the community and the things that uh, he stands for in the NBA. And uh, I mean, he's been one of the all-time greats. That's why we watch the NBA. It's because of Magic and Larry Bird and Michael Jordan and what they what they did during the the 1980s and 1990s. So, uh, you know, it's just that it's really interesting because I mean, if the Lakers weren't already a soap opera, I mean, come on, we know we tune into as the Lakers turn every every week, right? I mean, it's uh, it's the again with the what's happened now when when Magic took over. I mean, he came in because he was going to clean up the city with new sheriff in town and came in with Rob Palinka and and Jeannie Buss to take over the franchise from you know her brother. Uh, which was uh, Jim Jim Buss and uh, Mitch Kupchak, and all of a sudden it's the same old story. I mean, the Lakers, even though they bring in LeBron, that was the big piece. They bring in LeBron, things are going to change. Lakers are going to make the playoffs. They're going to be turning the page. And now we don't even know. People in the NBA don't even know if the Lakers are going to get one of the superstars that are available. Everybody figured, oh, Kawhi Leonard will go there. Now it looks like he would probably sign with the Clippers and Jerry West over there than he would signing with the Lakers. Oh, wait, Kevin Durant. Well, no, Kevin Durant, he's maybe going to go to the New York Knicks or or elsewhere. It's just like all these different players were going to come join LeBron. Now LeBron's there, but it's maybe not going to be what everybody thought. Now Magic's gone. So, I mean, the Lakers are really in flux right now. I mean, they still have some nice young assets. They still have LeBron James. Uh, so, I mean, they still have some things to look forward to. It's not as... But but here's the problem. The Lakers franchise now, they're, they're almost like one of the jokes of the NBA. I mean, you say, oh, they got LeBron. Well, that that's great. But the problem is LeBron sells out all of his teammates. You know, he, he again, he does this again. He's getting older. He's getting more injured. But it goes beyond that. I mean, look, the front office situation is a mess. I mean, Jeannie Buss... God bless her, but you know I don't know if she knows what she's doing. I don't. I don't know if I really understood the the hiring of Rob Palenka. I mean Magic Johnson. The fact that you know I, I think that it showed a lot with Magic Johnson. Just like I, I think the Laker and Laker fans in general, and Laker players and ex Laker players, you hear you know Shaq talking about the Lakers and all these. I mean all these ex Laker players and all all the fans are just like. You know, oh, it's don't worry. We're the Lakers. We're the Lakers. We're the, you know, at some point, no, you're not the Lakers anymore because, you know, your hubris, I think everybody looks at it and just laughs at it right now. It's like, no, that you're not the Lakers. You've been poorly run ever since Jerry Buss passed away. And look, the franchise really was about one guy, Jerry West. I mean, Jerry West basically put a lot of that franchise together. Uh, they, they, they obviously go on, it goes back obviously to Kareem and magic and, and, and that sort of stuff. But Jerry West did so much bringing in Kobe and Shaq and Kobe helped win not only the three championships, but then the, the second three. And then they helped to, they helped, uh, uh, with the second three, but they got helped by Jerry Buss again, because he trades over Paul, Paul Casal in that deal that helps him win three more championships. But 
really, you know, outside of Jerry, Jerry Buss and Jerry West, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a disaster really ever since those guys. It's really Jerry Buss. Yeah. Jerry West too, but Jerry West left early two thousands. And, you know, so, I mean, he's been gone from the Lakers for a while, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he was a principal architect bringing, you know, Shaq and Kobe together. And of course, like, you know, Jerry West is one of the great all-time GMs, but to me, it's like, since Jerry Buss bought the franchise. I mean, they had a great string of success from when he bought it in 1979. I, you know, they were basically in the championship half the time that he was owner of the club. And since he's passed away over the last six seasons, like you said, they've been a laughing stock in the in the organization. At first, was he wanted you know his son Jim Bus. It's a problem of succession. It's it's kind of the old uh, tragedy, like the royal uh, succession there, where you you know you're a great ruler or leader, and you pass it on to your 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 heirs, and and they mess everything up. And that's kind of almost what's although Jeannie Buss has had a strong sense of the business side and she has been one of the most respected business people in the NBA. But she kind of like, you know, when she was letting her brother and Mitch Kupchak run it and kind of the Lakers were, you know, again, going through all these losing seasons and kind of rebuilding. Now she's taking it over. They've acquired LeBron James. But now with Magic Johnson leaving, there's chaos there at the realm with her, too. So. I mean, now Jeannie Buss is like you said, she's got to be looking like what happened here. She's like she, you know, wake up in the morning and magic's gone and poof, it's, you know, not there anymore. And and now what does she do with the franchise? Does she give more power to Rob Plinka? Does she bring in somebody from the outside? You know, LeBron James, you know, you only have three more years of him under contract. This is a huge time for the Lakers. You have these young players like Lonzo Ball. You don't even know about your future with Luke Walton as head coach. I mean, all of these things, it's just really chaotic. That hasn't been the Lakers. That was the team down the street. That was the Clippers that went through all this kind of mess, not the Lakers. And then now it's the other way around. Jerry West is running the uh, Clippers and they're the model franchise with a coach that's entrenched in Doc Rivers and an owner that's really knows what kind of looks like, knows what he's doing and Steve Ballmer. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like bizarro world. As a Rockets fan, I feel terrible for the Lakers fans. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> Um, you know, just uh, I've got to send my condolences out to you guys. And just uh, it's just it's it's so frustrating that the Lakers can't be championship uh, bound every year. But uh, uh, other news in the NBA, Dirk Davitsky calling it a career after 21 years. And as a Rockets fan, you're programmed to hate the Mavericks. But Dirk, to me, it was impossible to hate him, at least for this Rockets fan. For me, the numbers suggest, you know, this is a top 15 player in NBA history. But with Dirk. It's really about the class and who he is as a human being. On his final night in the NBA, he plays in San Antonio, and I don't know if, if people saw this, but the you know this is the Mavs' heated rivalry. Of course, it's the rivals. He's he's introduced like he's one of their own. The crowd gives him a massive ovation. Keep in mind, in his 21 year career, this is an incredible stat. The Spurs are the only team with a better record than the Mavericks in Dirk's time in the NBA. So fantastic, and RG. I mean, you get Dirk and, and Dwayne Wade, uh, both of those guys retiring. This is the last year for Carmelo. So three really, you know, iconic figures of the last 20 years are gone uh, as of this week. Wait, Carmelo Anthony? Is, is he, are you sure he's not coming back next season? He's not going to sign some contract? Oh, yeah. There's guys knocking at his door left and right. I, by the way, I got to put throw this number in for Dirk. He made his NBA debut in 1998. Before that, a total of 40 seven-footers had hit a three-pointer in NBA history. Their combined total for three-pointers that they had shot, 507. Dirk's career total, I'm not sure if that's shot or made, but Dirk's career total, 
1,982, four, four times more than that. Since Dirk started, 81 other seven-footers have hit 7,253 three-pointers. Archie, he changed the game. This guy, he changed the way we play basketball. Dirk Nowitzki, not only a great player, but he's a game changer. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the greatest of all time. Like, we'll always remember him kind of early in his career, Dallas with Steve Nash, but then leading the team to a championship over the Miami Heat and LeBron James, that that great team that everybody thought when, you know, Dwayne Wade brought together LeBron James and, and Chris Bosh that first year, it was Dallas that took the championship. And it was Dirk Nowitzki who always upped his game in the playoffs. I mean, he was not only a great regular season player, put up, but he also, I mean, that championship, that NBA championship that Dallas has, that's because of Dirk Nowitzki and, and upping his game in, in the postseason. So, you know, I mean, he's one of the all-time greats in the NBA, like you said, going to the Hall of Fame. And I also like to mention uh, Dwayne Dwayne Wade, you know, one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, I, I loved watching him earlier in his career than when Shaq got there with Miami and they won the championship. And, you know, Dwayne Wade was always Mr. Miami. Uh, it was kind of strange to see them like in a Bulls uniform and then with the Cavs and all that. He's always Miami. That's uh, one of the institutions in Miami is Dwayne Wade. He'll uh, he'll have a statue outside of that arena. Basically, one of the the greatest you know NBA players again there too. Oh, he's he's in the pantheon of all time shooting guards, and right. you know he took a team to a championship virtually by himself. I mean, Shaq was at the back end. You know, he was. I don't think he was the Shaq that we saw in the early 2000s. I, I felt like he carried that team in 2006. And look, Dwayne Wade, also class guy for the most part with, with Dirk Nowitzki. The one blemish, though, he's got, he's got a blemish that Dirk doesn't have. And it was the way uh, him and LeBron handled things with Dirk in that 2011 finals. And Dirk, Dirk threw it right back in his face. And those two guys, interestingly enough, will forever be tied in history, not only because they retired the same time but also because of that series and and what Dirk did and I mean that was that was where I think LeBron changed as a player and he learned hey you know there's some things that I need to work on and I need to get better at which he did I think following that 2011 season which led to him winning three championships since then but you know that solidified Dirk Nowitzki because without that we're talking about him in the same sense with guys like Charles Barkley we're like where, where was where's the championship where's the championship but he got it and I'm glad for him he deserved it yeah no I'm I'm glad that he got the championship I'm also glad that uh as well that uh Dwayne Dwayne Wade has championships both all-time great players poor Carmelo Anthony that's another thing if that was truly his last season this year he's not going to go out with a championship he will be like the the Barclays and the NBA and the Carl Malones, unfortunately. All right. I, I got to just have, I've got one last thing and this is Dirk related, but it's, it's, it's also Shaq related since we've been mentioning Shaq and, and boy, he gets on my nerves. So, so this is what happened on TNT on Tuesday night. The first question was by the host that night. I can't remember his name, but he asked this question about Dirk Nowitzki to Shaq. Uh, he says, as a person, has there ever been somebody you competed against who's more respected universally than Dirk? Shaq says, and I quote, there are a lot of players. Steve Nash was like that. Kobe was like that. Kobe? Kobe? Uh, come on, RG. Please, please put Shaq out to pasture. Enough already. I mean, it's bad enough that I got to watch Clyde get his, you know, sort of his reputation, I think, in the city ruined by what he's been doing, what he's done as a broadcaster. But, you know, Shaq, I mean, it's it's real frustrating to see, you know, somebody that you, you used to have so much respect for come out and just just his lack of knowledge. And again, it's that 
Wait, you, you don't like Shaq and a fool on TNT? Uh, the sh- yeah, if he could stick to just that, and we could just do, stick to the Shaq. But, you know, that one little segment. But other th- other than that, it, it's awful. He doesn't he doesn't know basketball. I don't think he knows human beings. Like, he brings up Kobe as, like, a, a person that everybody respected. Ah, oh, come on. They respected him as a player. That's true. But as a person? I mean, the guy said specifically as a person. I mean, that's... And but that's a Shaq thing, and that's you know, and he has to throw a Laker guy in there, of course. I mean, he could have talked about a number of players that I could have, could have talked about Akeem. He could have said Akeem, but instead he brings up Kobe. I mean, well, lucky uh, Kenny Smith is on those telecasts because he always brings up uh, Akeem Olajuwon about this time of year, especially. <laughs> you know, in a few minutes, I, I, we got some other Rockets-related stuff, but before we get there, RG, um, well. Congratulations to your Longhorns, Longhorns for picking up that uh, national title this past weekend. Big national title out of Madison Square Garden. Woohoo! NIT, baby! NIT! <laughs> it wasn't exactly what the Texas Longhorns brought in Shaka Smart for, but hey, after a, kind of an up-and-down, inconsistent regular season, the, you get to the NIT, you might as well, if you're going to go play in it, you might as well win it. And the, the Horns did. They beat Lipscomb there in the final, and... Uh, TCU in the semifinal and you know they were able to you know finally put things together and have some a good string of wins that close out the season so hopefully it's a building block for Shaka Smart for the next season but we've said that before and hopefully this is the case (laughs) the Baylor women picked up a championship Sunday after Texas wins on Saturday it looked like it'd be a Texas sweep Saturday Sunday Monday with Tech up three in the final seconds and uh, fantastic final four by the way all the way around all of those games. But the coaching job by Chris Beard, you know, all season long, he was incredible. For the f- first five games and 39 minutes of the tournament, he was incredible. But I wasn't too happy with what happened late in the game and in overtime. You know, Archie, there were three things that he did that just drove me up a wall. First of all, final seconds of the game, you're up by three. You know, the only only way... They're going to do anything right there. I mean, you, you, you're you probably going to get fouled if they hit a two, and you're going to have to hit free throws. But the only thing that's really going to screw you up is you give a, if you give them a three. They left the, the future NBA first-rounder, Hunter, wide open in the corner for a three. For what reason? I don't know. And, and, and there was free throws at that time, so he could have yelled at his guys, you know, no threes, no threes. So that number one – that was bad because you don't you don't give up a three there. I mean, you don't give a quarter three, which is the easiest in basketball, and a wide open quarter three to the NBA guy, just like you don't give up one to Paul George. But that's a whole Rockets thing. Now the the second thing that that upset me was there was like about ten minutes worth of timeout, you know, before that final play with the second left. And do you remember what happened, RG, in that play? Do you remember the the the, the beautiful play that they ran? Oh no, I remember it. Yeah. It, it was there was no play. I mean, I'm expecting picks and guys running around and everybody just stands there and nothing happens. And then finally, somebody runs to the ball, grabs it, takes a contested three. Um, I mean, that I don't know what he what, I mean, I'm seeing him drawing up stuff and he's got the he's got the whiteboard out. And he's doing all this stuff and then literally nothing. I mean, you know, maybe that's his guy. Maybe he's telling his guys all this stuff. But that was two things. And even if they're not executing, I mean, that's that's on him, too. I mean, you got to execute that. And that's part partly as a coach is drill that into him. This is how we do it. This is what I need you guys to do. And then the third thing was in overtime, this is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit less of a deal. But all of a sudden they go into a zone defense 
uh, early in that overtime game. And I thought it was a critical moment because as soon as they went into the zone, I'm like, why, why are you guys going into zone? You're a man defense. This is overtime. You play the entire tournament as a great man team. They go into a zone. Uh, we know Virginia can shoot. They got shooters all over the floor. They hit a, they hit an open three. And from there on out, they took over in overtime. I mean, well, maybe he was doing that because also that Owens had fouled out and everything, too. I don't know about that one. But I agree with you. It's at least as far as the offensive play call uh, at the end of the game kind of would. Yeah, it just seemed to me discombobulated there on that one. But, you know, for the most part, look, Chris, Chris Beard, I, I felt like Oklahoma. I mean, excuse me, Oklahoma. Uh, Virginia, I mean, the way that they came back against Auburn, the way they came back in the final seconds against Texas Tech Raiders, I mean, I, they really showed that they were a championship caliber team. I mean, what they were able to do there. Tony Bennett has them playing a really tight defense all around, really exceptional. I mean, you're not going to score really, but Te- Tech was able to come back against them. So was Auburn. I mean, go, so credit both of those teams, but they gutted it out. They found a way at the end each time, you know, in the overtime at the end of regulation, I mean, they hit key shots. So, and that's what championship teams do. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, in retrospect, don't leave the NBA guy, Hunter, wide open. Don't, you know, drop a better play, you know, uh, switch to man defense. In the over- uh, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, any little thing that, you know, they were able to do, uh, Virginia was just able to do it just a tad bit better. And they were able to convert and they were able to hit clutch socks, both against the end of the game against Auburn. I mean, that was really difficult to do what they did against Auburn, first of all. And then what they did against Tech, being three down with a minute left. I mean, a lot of teams fold or crater or, or miss shots or don't do that. I mean, Virginia executed under pressure. So that's, to me, why they're the champion and, and they deserve it. Yeah, you, you can all, also always tell the Texas Tech-Virginia uh, game through both sides of the prism, of course. And you like most of these close games, I mean, it's taken nothing away for Virginia, and you got to give them credit mentally because not only all the close games that they won in the tournament, but coming last year from the you know losing to the 16 seed, the first team ever to lose to a 16 seed as a one seed, to come back as a one seed and go through the whole tournament. But I, I'm just I'm talking just specifically. We're Houston sports talk. I'm talking through the Texas Tech lens. Yeah, and I mean, but we've we, we've seen a lot of like games in the final seconds and minute, or uh, play, players have a wide open shot, or they you know get the point there and they brick it, and it goes back out and they brick it again, and then somebody gets a rebound, and you know, you know that if those cases, you know, if they have two or three shots at it, but these guys were executing just boom like that, you know, being able to hit clutch shots tight under pressure and doing that. It's just, to me, they're also, you have to give them credit too, that they, you know, you make one little mistake in your tech and boom, Virginia capitalizes on it. That's, that's a championship caliber club to me that doesn't wilt under pressure, uh, that doesn't, you know, go in the other direction. And a lot of teams would have done that. So that's to me why they were deserving. And you have to credit tech for getting that far. And to me, Chris Breard just did a phenomenal job all year long and just like Kelvin Sampson did at the University of Houston. So, I mean, there's some really good basketball in Texas. I mean, we should be proud of that at least that, you know, NCAA finals finally, you know, had a team from Texas in it again. Yeah. First time in a long time go back 35 years to the University of Houston. Five Slamma Jamma, Akeem Olajuwon. Five Slamma Jamma. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Akeem, the Basketball Hall of Fame once again did not elect Rudy Tomjanovich, so that travesty continues. But another Rockets coach gets in the Hall, RG, the man behind the 86 Finals team, Bill Fitch, made it in. And for those who don't remember, Fitch's Celtics beat the Rockets in the 80 Finals, but then joined the Rockets in 83. Any memories you got of Bill Fitch uh, watching those teams? Well, yeah. I mean, of course, we all remember the 85, 86, the Twin Towers. I mean, that was Bill Fitch coaching those teams with the Rockets. And, you know, they when Ralph Sampson, I mean, 
looking back with Virginia last season or talking about the NCAA tournament here or last week when you're seeing like Ralph Sampson in the stands uh, with his Virginia Cavaliers. I mean, Ralph Sampson was, you know, the rocket where the Twin Towers with Akeem Olajuwon and Bill Fitch coached that team. And Bill Fitch basically kind of like that was their first coach in the NBA. So, I mean, this is a guy that made something that was in, for that time in the NBA doing the Twin Towers, having two seven footers, uh, two two centers, basically one is a power forward. They put in, you know, Akeem as center and, and, and Ralph Sampson as the, the power forward. I was kind of revolutionary in the NBA at the time. And, you know, the NBA has changed again. And we know now like kind of a Darth of the big man in the NBA, but still back then twin towers, it was something to behold. It was something to watch. And yeah, Bill Fitch was the coach during that area. And, and, and we'll never forget as Rockets fans, you know, even though we were kids back then, you know, we seeing that Ralph Sampson shot where, you know, he, uh, against the Lakers, uh, you know, last second, that awkward shot that sent them into the finals, 86 finals against the Boston Celtics. And like you said, Bill Fitch had beaten the Rockets uh, as the coach of the 81 Celtics, the Moses Malone team for the Rockets when they made it to the finals. And then in 86 gets back to face the Celtics and ends up losing to, you know, the Casey Jones. And that was a team that had all-time great Celtics with, you know, Larry Bird and Bill Walton was coming off the bench, and that was uh, the Kevin McHale and uh, Dennis Johnson and uh, Danny Ainge. And yeah, Robert some Perry. some people say that's the best team that maybe in NBA history. I mean, it's right there. I mean, we talk about the Golden State Warriors cur- current squad, but yeah, a lot of people think that 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 could be one of the best teams in NBA history. And uh, you know, this is uh, we we've done a long show here at over an hour, uh, but just we have tons to, tons to talk about. Um, just a final thing on Bill Fitch, though, because. Uh, you know, speaking of that 86 team and, you know, Bill Fitch's NBA record, 944 and 1,106. So more losses than wins. But after the Rockets, he spent seven years with some talentless Nets and Clippers teams. He started his career with bad Cleveland teams. So that explains a lot. He was also coach of the year twice, though, too. His Rockets tenure ended ended in 1988. And as all you Rockets fans probably know, he might have won more championships if it wasn't for the Samson injury, the drug suspensions to Lucas Lloyd and, and Mitchell Wiggins. And Fitch was, you know, he was an ex-Marine instructor, an old school coach. Uh, Larry Bird actually gives Fitch credit for his worth, work ethic. So you can't get more opposite uh, between Mike D'Antoni and Bill Fitch. But, you know, this is the deal. I, I figured we'd end the show with a piece of my conversation with Robert Falkoff, because RG's just taught, been talking about that 86 team. The Rockets beat Ryder for the Houston Post back in the 80s. Was That was Falkoff. And this is from our podcast on the demise of the 86 team, which is back in our archives. Go check it out. The whole conversation is definitely worth a listen. But here's Falkoff on Fitch's old school ways and some of what he did that pushed them to the finals as we close things out. You know, he felt like keeping players on edge was the way to go. He was into negative reinforcement. Don't pat him on the back too much. He loved to practice long. In fact, he got mad at me one time because Samson had an interview with Samson one time. He talked about all our long practices and we're tired. He said, I would, uh, something to the effect, I would uh, hammer the nail in, but I wouldn't drill it all the way through the wood, something to that effect, where, you know, that they were practicing too long, too hard, and it was taking their legs away and Fitch just he just hated he just went, went crazy about that because that's what he loved to do was just practice 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 he felt like that was the best way to go and he was a drill sergeant but he was a very good coach he was into bringing teams along slowly he didn't want any expectations for 
oh, this team needs to be in the finals the second year. He felt like it's a process and let's just bring it along slowly and don't make it happen too soon. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hey there, listener. Are you a fan of Houston Cougar Athletics? Well, Sam and I have got the perfect podcast for you. It's the Scott and Holman Podcast. Yeah, we're talking all things Houston Cougars, in-season, off-season, recruiting, on-field results. If it's Houston Cougars, we're talking about it. So search Scott and Holman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.